So we are heading into Thanksgiving weekend coming up, and it's definitely one of my favorite holidays. Um, first of all, any excuse to have a full-blown turkey dinner, I'm in. Okay, that's tops in my book. White meat turkey, is there really any other kind? Uh, mashed potatoes with the skin still on. Uh, corn that is dripping with butter. Stuffing, only stovetop will do. That's the only kind that matters. Crescent rolls that are baked to perfection. Rivers of gravy. Okay, what were we talking about here? Um, oh yeah, Thanksgiving. Uh, it's a special time for us to express what we are thankful for. And to me, Thanksgiving is the most biblical, non-biblical holiday that we celebrate. Thanksgiving is the most biblical, non-biblical holiday that we celebrate. I know that's convoluted. You'll get it at some point. And so 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Psalm 28, verse 7 says, The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust him with all my heart. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. I would love to see that sometime. I would love to see somebody so overwhelmed with gratitude to God that they burst out in a song of thanksgiving. If you feel the urge, call me first. Let me come over because I want to see it, okay? Uh, we'll, we'll do it together. But most people are able to say that they are thankful for their family. Uh, we all have different family backgrounds and makeups. Uh, and God created the family for us to go through life together to grow together. That's the purpose of the family, for us to grow together, do life together, and to grow in God together. It doesn't always work out that way for everyone. Uh, but God's plans for the family go far beyond just those who gave birth to us and those who live in the same household as us. God's plans for family are far more expansive than that. And I've shared with you on many occasions how two fundamental rules apply that God gave us for how to live life according to his plan. What it looks like, two rules, is basically all it takes to live life according to God's plan. It's basically this, God's principles for life, love God, love other people. It's that simple and that complicated. Uh, Matthew 22 says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. I've always wondered, how could it be the greatest commandment if the second is equal? Something to think about. Second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. We are created for those two things. Now, love God is pretty straightforward, right? Love people can get a little dicey. <laughs> love people is messy. Uh, that's why God takes it in stages for us. Uh, have you ever noticed that as you read scripture, that God gives us stages for loving people? You know, at the end of the spectrum, this is the end of your journey. This is after you've mastered 101, 201, 301 of loving people. Now you get to this stage, and that is on the difficulty rating, we have Matthew 544, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who hurt you. That's, that's, that's like advanced master's degree work loving people there. And we all need to do this. We need to get there. There's no excuse. Just because it's hard doesn't mean you get a pass. But God starts us out on a little easier road. He starts with family. 1 Peter 2.17, respect everyone and love the family of believers. Look around you. Love them. 
Respect everyone and love the family of believers. This is one of many passages in the Bible where God commands us to love one another within the body of Christ. It's, it's funny because uh, Paul and John and, and Peter and a lot of the, the New Testament writers of the epistles, you see it come up a lot. Hey, love each other. Hey, love each other. Hey, love each other. You know why? <laughs> because they probably weren't succeeding all that much. Because it's a challenge. Because even though the church is God's church and we're God's family, we're also human beings and we're broken and we're fallen and we make mistakes and we do really, really disappointing things sometimes. And so it becomes difficult to love each other the way we're supposed to. But the, the, we are supposed to love one another within the body of Christ. Uh, another term the Bible uses is the family of God. 1 Timothy 3.15 says, I want you to know how people who are members of God's family must live. God's family is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. We are God's family. That's crazy to think about. God, the creator of the universe, the omnipotent creator, the all-knowing God, we are his family. The Bible describes us as adopted sons and daughters. We are joint heirs, co-heirs with Christ. We inherit what Jesus got. We are his children through Jesus. As Christ followers, we are all related spiritually. Yes, and everybody has that crazy uncle in their family. You know, I mean, so, and the church is no different. But we're all related spiritually. We all have the same father. And just like our earthly families, over time, we take on his characteristics. The older and more mature we become, the more the family resemblance starts to kick in. And we become more like our father. That's why my kids tell such horrible jokes. They get it from me. Uh, so why does God place such an emphasis on loving the other people in our spiritual family? Why is this such a sticking point? Why is this so important? Because when we love one another, it makes us more like our Father because God is love. We are becoming more like him as we love one another. <clears throat> 1 John 4, dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Get this. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. If you struggle to love, John is pretty upfront in saying, if you struggle to love, you got to examine your connection with Jesus. Because you may not know him the way you think you know him. It's like Princess Bride, Aniga Montoya. You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. If you are here and you say, I, I, I love God, but I really struggle to love them, well, then you need to work on this relationship so you can do this relationship better. Okay? Um, if you're going to show the family resemblance, you need to love. Love in good times, love in bad times, love when it feels good, love when it hurts. God loves all the time because he is love. It's his character. It's his nature. He can't help but love. And we need to do the same. Now, I don't know about you, but my natural nature isn't to love. My natural nature is my sinful nature. It's selfish. It wants to please me, not those around me. And it takes the Holy Spirit working in me. It takes the Holy Spirit transforming me. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You will get that through 
spending time with him, through allowing the Holy Spirit to work in you, and as your mind changes, your heart changes, and finally your actions will change, and you will really be able to love people the way you're supposed to love them. You see, God knows that our earthly families are going to fail us. He knew that. Even though many of us have great families, there are a huge number of people who don't have anything even closely resembling a family. Divorce, abuse, abandonment, dysfunction are unfortunately a regular part of many of our lives. And here's the thing, that's not just today. The pages of the Bible are filled with examples of brokenness like I just described. We finished up our series on David with massive tales of brokenness in family. So it's not just today. This isn't a modern creation where our families are falling apart. This has happened all throughout recorded history, even in the pages of Scripture. And God knew that we would need something outside of our traditional families to belong to, something else to call family. And so if you're here and you've come from a family like I just described, you need to know that you can find family here. You can find family. You can find people who will love you and accept you and challenge you and help you become all that God has designed you to be. Because that is what God has designed the church to be. That is what Trilogy is. It's a family. And another reason God emphasizes us loving one another is this. Our love for one another draws people to God. Our love for one another draws people to God. People are hungry, folks. People are hungry for acceptance, for love, for friends. And unless they find them in the church, they may not stay there long enough to become personally related to Jesus Christ. If they're coming to a church and they don't find that place of connection, they may go. In today's culture, you got to understand, people are not persuaded. You're not going to argue someone into the kingdom of God. It's just not going to work. People are attracted. They are drawn, and it's far more by what we are than by what we say. And so when they see the church truly being the church that God intended, loving one another, caring for one another, helping one another, challenging one another, doing all those things we're supposed to do for one another, when they see that, there's something attractive about that. I, I hear the term used a lot today, uh, the attractional church, an attractional model of doing ministry. And usually when you talk about an attractional model of ministry, when you read about that or read articles written about it, it usually is something like they have a really big worship environment, they have hazers, they have, you know, great, like, technology because they want it to feel like something that culturally they can relate to when they come to the church. So it's an attractional model of ministry. You're attracting them by relating to what they relate to on a regular basis. And there is something to be said for that. There are people that are drawn to that. As long as there's substance behind all that stuff, okay? That stuff is not the end. It's a means. Uh, but at the same time, I believe just as if not more attractional to our culture is a church being the church. I think that is the most attractional thing that the church can do today is to be the church that God has intended us to be. Now, what model you use to, to build your stage or your church building or the technology or all that stuff, that's neither here nor there. There's nothing good or bad about it. It's a means. But the church being the church is non-negotiable. You have to do it because that will draw other people. For John 17, 23, Jesus said, I am in them and you are in me. May they, us, experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Guys, this verse is mind-blowing. 
I mean, when you think about what this says, Jesus is praying for the disciples and for the coming church, and he says, may they experience such perfect unity that we are being the church God designed us to be, and because of that, the world will know that you sent me. That is proof that Jesus is who he said he was when the church acts like the church. Jesus understood the need perfectly. This is part of the, an incredibly heartfelt prayer uh, by Jesus, crying out for love and unity in his followers so that others would be drawn to the truth. And here's the thing. Jesus has been walking with the disciples for three years at this point. He sees how they act towards each other, and there's infighting, and there's, there's positioning and jostling and trying to become, you know, the stronger one and the better position of authority. I want to be next to Jesus. No, I want to be next to Jesus. It's like kids in the van. Like, come on. This is what the disciples were. And Jesus says, enough is enough. We need unity. We have to have it so that others would be drawn to the truth. Jesus knew the incredible need for community and family within the church. And we don't instinctively understand true community. It's not part of our normal flow. It needs to be deeper than what we experience in the world. You know, hey, so how's it going at work, man? Fine, bro. Say, you driving a new car? Used. What do you have going on this week? Not much. Hey, well, great connecting with you, dude. Same here. Guys, that's not connecting. That's not biblical community. That's a coffee break and not a very good one at that. We need to do better than that, church. I want to read you a quote by a man named Bill Hybels. Bill Hybels started Willow Creek Community Church, one of the largest churches in the country, and he said this. True community is when masks come off, conversations get deep, hearts get vulnerable, lives are shared, accountability is invited, tenderness flows, and people really do become brothers and sisters. Is that not a fantastic quote about community? Ironically, Bill Hybels, who was at one time the pastor of one of the largest churches in America, didn't have this kind of community around him. Or at least he didn't take advantage of it, and he experienced a moral failure that led to him losing his church and his ministry as pastor. He knew what community was supposed to look like, but he didn't experience it himself. Just having good community around you doesn't mean you're experiencing it. Just because Trilogy is a place where you can find a spiritual family doesn't mean you will. It doesn't happen automagically. It requires intentionality. How do we experience true community in the family of God? How do we truly love our spiritual family members? 1 Timothy 3.15, I want you to know how people who are members of God's family must live. God's family is the church of the living God. Listen to what I'm about to say, because if you miss this, you might as well not come on Sundays. I'm not giving you a pass, but stay home and sleep in and watch football if you miss this principle, okay? The church is absolutely a family. It is not a building. It is not an institution. It is not an organization. It is not a club. It is a family. If it's not, then it's not the church. A church is not a place you go. Church is a family you belong to. Church is not a place you go. A church is a family you belong to. That's what the Bible teaches us. So if there's a kid running around the room on Sunday morning, and it's usually one of my children, if there's a kid running, sprinting down the, the hall, and somebody yells out, stop running in the church. It's more appropriate for you to say, hey, church, stop running in this building. 
That would be the more biblical way to state that. That would be really awkward, and my kid would look at you really strangely. But it would be appropriate. As much as we're excited, guys, about God providing this new property for us to meet in, this building isn't the church. This building could get carried off by a UFO tomorrow, and the church would keep going. You are the church. I am the church. The person next to you is the church. God has called us to be Trilogy Church. He's called us with a mission. He's called us with a purpose. He's called us to write new stories. He's called us to love one another. He's called us to be family. He's called us to be the church. So how do we be the church for each other? And this is what I wanted to land on today. There are different levels of intimacy within a spiritual family. And everybody has to progress through these to get to a place of full involvement. Different levels of connection, different levels of involvement, and we all work through these steps. So level one, the most basic level, is membership. It's choosing to belong somewhere. It's, it's showing up on a Sunday and, and saying, okay, I'm going to check this place out. And, and you go through and you're like, okay, I think this could be the place where we land. And, and uh, maybe you came during Zoom season and you'd never even met anybody here and you just watched online for a year before you finally were able to meet in person. You know, I don't know what that looks like for you. But some of you, you, you came and for whatever reason, you felt that first time, this is home. This is where I'm supposed to be. And then you had to make a decision, I'm going to choose to belong. This is the most basic level of connection because it involves simply finding a church family to get connected to. And, of course, that word simply can be a little misleading there. Uh, some of you who have uh, begun a tro attending Trilogy in the past, I've met with you and talked with you about the process and how did you find us. And you've told me your stories of trying to find the right church. And that can be a daunting task. It's not always easy, but it's something we have to do as Christ followers. We've got to find a body of believers that we can belong to, that we can lock arms with and say, let's do this. Let's account. Not just a place where I can attend. It's not about attending. It's about belonging. There's a massive difference there. I've met some people who don't think church membership is all that important. They'll say things like, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't want to belong to any church. And that just doesn't make sense because the church family is where you live out most of what it means to be a Christian. You do that in the context of church family. And I've said this before, but making a decision to follow Jesus is a personal decision that is lived out in community. It's a personal decision that is lived out in community. People say, well, that's just, that's just you know, that's a private matter between me and God. My relationship with him is private. No, it's not. It's very public. It's designed to be lived out in community. You make a personal choice, and now you live that out in the family of God. It's like you can't be a son in a household and say, yeah, I'm just going to live my life. You guys do you. I'll do me. It doesn't work that way. That's not what family is all about. And I, I mean, saying I don't want to belong to a church is like saying I'm a football player, but I just don't want to belong to a team. That doesn't work. Uh, it, we need each other. The Apostle Paul several times compared the church to a body and each of its members as body parts. Well, no part of the human body is going to survive long on its own. It's not going to happen. Uh, it's the same with each of us. Cut off from the lifeblood of a local church body, our individual spiritual life would soon wither and die. We're not designed to make it that way. We need a church body to belong to, to be part of a church family. And I've seen way too many examples over my years of ministry of people thinking they don't need the church and their faith fades right along with their church participation. It's not just a good idea to be connected to a local church. It's a God idea. You need to be connected. 
Another way some people show that they don't fully understand about local church membership is by hopping from church to church to church to church. Well, I go to four different churches um, without any identity, without any accountability, without any commitment. And they'll move between churches constantly. They go to one church one week because they like the music. They go to a, next week, they hop over to another, maybe trilogy, because they really like the pastor's preaching. They periodically attend yet another church uh, because they like their kids' ministry and another because they like the youth program. But they hop around and never really sink down roots and join a particular church. They don't follow God's call and become intimately involved in a local body of believers. And this is a mistake because the Bible teaches that not only do we need a church family, a church family also needs us. It's not just for you. In fact, if you're coming on a Sunday morning saying, I wonder what I'm going to get out of this today, you are missing the whole point. We need to show up on a Sunday morning saying, how is God going to use me today? Who can I invest in? Who can I be a blessing to? And then along the way, God's going to do something in you. Our spiritual gifts, our talents, our insights are needed to help a church to fulfill its purpose. In the same way, a human body would be weak and ineffective without one of our organs, a local church will be weak and ineffective without each of its parts doing their part. You have something to offer. The Bible teaches that the church is primarily in action in local congregations just like our own. And I say this because of the 115 different times in the New Testament that the Greek word for church appears, ekklesia, when that appears in the New Testament, 95 of those 115, it refers to local bodies of believers like the church at Ephesus or the church at Corinth or the church at Philippi. And to me, that says that the local church is where the rubber meets the road in the kingdom of God. What is God doing through a body of believers? This is where things happen, and it's so important for every Christian to take this first step and join a local church. The Christian life is not just a matter of believing, it's a matter of belonging. It's not just believing, it's belonging. And that doesn't mean you're supposed to be here at Trilogy. I don't want you to hear that. Don't get me wrong. I love every one of you and hope we're all together until Jesus comes back. But most of you at one time or another have heard me say, either to you or another new family, something along these lines. Hey, I'm so excited to have you here today. You know, I'll find out how'd you, how'd you find out about Trilogy. And then I'll say something like this. I know there's a church for everyone, but I know we're not the church for everyone. And if you determine that this is not the place for you and your family to worship, please let me know. Don't just disappear because I will help you find the church that's right for you. I will walk through that process with you and help you find the right church because it's more important to me that you find the right church for your family than it is that you attend the church that I'm pastoring. And I mean that with all of my heart. So if you're sitting here week after week and you're like, man, I'm a fish out of water, but this is the best I've been able to find, please tell me. I don't want you to suffer in silence. I also don't want you to leave. But if God calls you to leave, I'm going to help you find the right place because this is not my church. This is his. And we're in this together as a church family. And so if, if that's you or if you know somebody and that you bring a friend and it just doesn't click with them, man, let me help them find a church they will. It's important to me because it's important to God. I would much rather have you find a church where you connect with the mission, the vision, and the culture than stay where you don't and end up drifting away and trying to make it on your own. Find a church and stick there. Get where you belong. Level two. Level two is friendship, and that is learning to share. 
learning to share. Sharing is hard, isn't it? <laughs> From the youngest age, we are told we need to share our toys. Why? Because we don't want to. We fight it. We push back against it. What is mine is mine and you can't have it. That doesn't go away when you turn five or when you turn 12 or when you turn 40. It stays with you, that mindset. But as believers, we're not given that option. Acts 2.44, and all the believers met together constantly and shared everything they had. This shows us two things that we must do in order to experience true community. We must meet together and we must share everything. Meet together, share everything. It starts by sharing something with another believer. Share something, something tangible. It could be anything from money to help someone out to a meal and experience community together. But this kind of sharing helps us develop close relationships. And second, we share something with someone, some experience, a joy, a trial, a struggle. Share life together with them. That's what our neighborhood groups are designed to do to provide those pockets of closer community where we can relate and connect and share those life experiences and grow together and, and struggle together and celebrate together. All those different things happen in the context of small groups. Romans 12, 15 says, Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Now leave that verse up for a second. Notice it doesn't say, Be happy for those who are happy and weep for those who weep. It says with. There's a massive difference than weeping for someone and weeping with someone. And that word choice is critical. It would be a lot easier if we just could be happy for someone and weep for someone. That's a whole lot easier to do. We could do that from a distance. But God's word makes us get up close and personal. It says with, alongside, together with. You cannot do that from a distance. And so when we share in these two basic ways, we move a little closer to experiencing true community. And this doesn't just happen, it's intentional. And I point this out because sometimes when we see some people who have uh, a really deep friendship, we think those people are so lucky to have close friends like that. The truth is luck had nothing to do with it. It's a choice. It's a choice. It's an investment that they've made. Deep friendship isn't the result of finding someone you just click with. It's a long road of hard work. People have close relationships because they choose to develop them. And usually those close relationships are born out of a lot of struggle and heartache and journeying together through difficult times because that's where the closest relationships in life are forged. They chose to share with each other and share with each other. And remember, the book of Acts says the close fellowship the Christians enjoyed in the early church was a product of their sharing everything. And that's not just physical things, it's emotional as well. So let's get practical when it comes to understanding the kinds of things we need to share in order to enjoy this second level of fellowship with other Christians. First thing, we have to share our experiences. This is what Proverbs 27, 17 is getting at when it says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. We, we sharpen each other. We learn from one another. The good news is we don't have to learn from our own successes and failures. Thankfully, we don't have to learn from our own failures. We can save a lot of time and energy and a heartache by learning the things other Christians have learned in life by learning from their experience. God has taught me so much through the experiences of people that uh, I've been in church together with, by other pastors that I've connected with. I have learned so many lessons about life and ministry and living the Christian life and what it means to follow Jesus through the experience of other people. And God has grown me through those so I didn't have to go through the process of learning it in my own life. 
Some of you right here in this room have taught me some valuable life lessons. Every one of us is supposed to learn from one another. Secondly, the Bible says we are to share our homes. The Bible says we are to share our homes. Now, are you telling me the Bible says I have to let people into my home? Don't they know about my constitutional rights? Castle law? Yes, it does say that. And not only do you have to let people into your homes, you have to do it with a good attitude. 1 Peter 4.9, cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. It's a command, folks. There's no wiggle room here. This is what the Bible says. In addition to helping meet needs, I think the principle God wants us to understand here is we can't truly experience community in a crowd. Okay? We can only have fellowship in a small group or one-on-one. That's the only way it works. And we're not going to do any building of community in this service today. With this many people here sitting in rows, you're not growing closer together. We can worship together. We can celebrate together. We can learn together. But little or no fellowship, biblical community, will take place in this environment. You're going to walk out of here not knowing anybody much better than you do right now because fellowship only takes in a small group or one-on-one. And that's why the Bible says we are to open our homes up to each other because that's where we really get to know people. That's where we do life together. And did you know that in the first 300 years of Christianity, 300 years of Christianity, there were no church buildings. Not a one. All church meetings were held in homes. Guys, we got a good thing going here. <laughs> we're going back to the beginning, folks. I mean, this is how it started. And, and that was also the fastest period of growth that the church has ever seen was those first 300 years. I'm telling you, God's up to something. Now, the third thing the Bible says we are to share is our problems. Listen to the word the Bible uses here to describe sharing our problems. Galatians 6, share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. Not suggestion, not encouragement, not even command. Law. Absolute. The truth is we were not meant to deal with the inevitable problems of life that come to each of us alone. We weren't supposed to go through it that way. God gave us a spiritual family to go through them with. He gave us spiritual brothers and sisters to whom we can bring our struggles, knowing they will stop what they are doing to help us when we need it. Now, I know that you all are amazing examples of what this looks like to go through life with somebody who's struggling and hurting. But I will tell you, I've never seen a better example in my own personal life than my wife. She is amazing at this. She will stop anything to help someone who's hurting. And some of you have experienced that firsthand. But guys, that's what we're all called to do. We need to be those types of brothers and sisters in the church family. A few years back at the Special Olympics, uh, decades back, uh, which features mentally and physically challenged athletes from around the world, something happened that really can help us all understand. It occurred in a race, a short race, uh, where all the participants in this race had Down syndrome. And the gun sounded, the runners started, and they were close, like running in a line, basically. And, and as they went down the track, uh, one of them tripped and fell. And when that runner tripped and fell, the rest of the runners stopped. They came back as a group and helped the runner who had fallen to stand up. And when he was ready, they all started go moving together forward again. And guys, that is a picture of what the church is supposed to be. That is a picture of the church. These special athletes understood and practiced this principle, sharing our problems with one another. Paul referred to it in 1 Corinthians when he said, if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. Open your eyes to see what is happening in the lives of people around you. 
what they're experiencing, and then open your heart to have compassion toward them. Compassion comes from a Latin phrase, which means to suffer along with. That's what compassion means at its root, is we are to suffer along with. It has nothing to do with feeling sorry for. Sometimes we equate compassion as feeling sorry for someone. But it doesn't mean that. It has everything to do with walking through it, walking alongside them in their suffering. That's a huge part of what it means to be the church. So the second level of fellowship is friendship, and it involves learning to share our experiences, our homes, and our problems. Level three is partnership. That's doing my part. Partnership is realizing that each of us has a contribution to make in the family of God. You have a contribution to make. God didn't bring us to churches like Trilogy to sit and soak in some spiritual spa. Each one of us has abilities and gifts to serve that a church family needs. So he brought each of us here for that reason, to serve. And over and over again, the Bible teaches this principle. 58 times in the New Testament, it says we are to do things with and for one another. 58 times it reinforces that. We are to serve one another. We are to correct one another. We are to encourage one another. We are to pray with one another. The Bible even says we have to put up with one another. Some of us have experienced that while we're doing all this. And every one of these one another commands is in the Bible to help us realize that we each have a job to do. It's great to share your heart. That's level two. But it's even greater to do your part, and that's what level three is all about. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, For we are co-workers in God's service. We're in this together. We've locked arms. We're doing the same job. We're moving forward together. And, and this is, you know, we are a team of uniquely gifted people working with one another for the cause of Christ. That's a great description of the church. We're a team of uniquely gifted people working with one another for the cause of Christ. That's what the church is called to do together. Who doesn't want to be part of a winning team? We all do. Most people at some point dream of being part of a championship team in some sport, whether it's in Little League or high school sports or college athletics. And earthly teams like that are great, but they are soon forgotten, except for the 2016 Cubs. Everybody's going to remember them for the end of time. But the team we are on as followers of Jesus, the church, guys, it's still around after 2,000 years, and it will last forever. And the best part of it all is best part of it all, you know, unlike the Cubs, as Pastor Ken pointed out last week, we can't lose. The church will never lose. We've already won. We are a part of the ultimate winning team. And that's what it is all about when we cooperate and participate together in the family of God. But in order to be part of this winning team, you've got to find your niche. You've got to find out where you fit and how you fit. And the Bible tells us we all do fit. We all have a place. Ephesians 4, he makes the whole body fit perfectly together as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Each of us has a part to play in the body of Christ. Maybe some of you have heard my sermon where I reference, are, are you the nose hair in the body of Christ? I'll, I'll save that for another time, but it's, it's a fun metaphor. And when we cooperate, when we partner, we get more done together than we could ever get done by ourselves. And you help others to become all that God intended them to be when you do what God designed you to do. Let me say that again. You help others to become all that God intended them to be when you do what God designed you to do. The church needs you. If you're not doing your part, the church is not all it could be. And finally, level four. Level four is kinship. It's loving believers like family. 
It's loving one another like the family that we already are, but sometimes we've forgotten. The deepest level of community in the family of God is what I call kinship. Not the Beverly Hillbillies kinship sense, you know, a kinfolk. It literally means your closest relationships. Your closest relationships in life, I believe, should be found in the church. It means having a level of fellowship with your fellow believers that is so deep that you love them like family. You are as committed to them as you are your own physical family. In some cases, even more so. You're more committed to the body of Christ. Acts 2.42, they were like family to each other. Romans 12.10, be devoted to each other like a loving family. Be devoted to each other. And the word for fellowship in the Bible, in the Greek, it's the Greek word koinonia. Koinonia is where, where we draw fellowship from. And it literally means being as committed to one another as we are to Jesus. Being as committed to one another as we are to Jesus. And this word means that we can't separate our love for God from our love for one another. They are, they are inextricably linked. You cannot separate the two of them. That's why, going back to my question that I raised earlier, Jesus says the greatest commandment is this, and the second is equally important. Because they can't be separated. You can't unlink them. They are permanently together. That is the purest form of being in community with other Christ followers. Loving one another the same as we love Jesus. Because it's saying, I'm willing to sacrifice for you. I'm willing to lay down my life for you. This is what John was talking about when he wrote in his first epistle in 1 John 3.16. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. And I'm not talking about taking a bullet for somebody. It may be that. I'm talking about giving up your life on a daily basis. Your preferences, what you want to do, those selfish desires that say, hey, I'm going to take care of me. You're going to lay those aside and you say, I'm going to serve. I'm going to put others' needs, put others' wants, others' desires above my own. This is the kind of fellowship Jesus was talking about when he said there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And when this depth of community and sacrifice and relationship is present in a church, it affects the entire church family. It's transformative in our lives. But here's the cool thing. It also affects those outside of it. It doesn't just change the church. Because to those outside, it shows them what God's love looks like. It's attractive. It makes them want to belong, to discover this kind of relationship, and to find out that it comes through a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now, guys, this is not a flip the script. Okay, this is who we are. This takes time. This takes work. This takes risk. This takes sacrifice. But it is so worth it. Now, some of you are already there. This is how you live. This is what you're experiencing. This is where you're at. Others of you, you're not there. And you need to take a step. Guys, don't settle for less than what God designed the church to be. Wherever you are at with regard to levels of involvement, go deeper. Take another step. If you haven't, you know, committed somewhere, find a church to plug into. Membership. Then move on to friendship and begin to share and begin to open up. And that, that's hard for some of you. I get it. But we need to get to that place where we're becoming vulnerable and opening ourselves up and allowing people into our lives and, our, and putting ourselves alongside them as well. 
We need to get to that place. Take another step. Look around you right now. Look in front. Look behind. Look left, right. Go ahead. Do it. Look around you. Come on, everybody. Yeah. Good. Well done. Guys, this is your family. For better or for worse, this is your family. Now, if you looked at your husband or your wife, yeah, for better or for worse. Yeah, I said that 20 years ago. Uh, this is your family. We're in this together. <clears throat> We're called to the same mission. We're called to the same purpose, to write new stories, to grow strong families, to be in healthy relationships, and while we're doing that, to maintain an outward focus that causes us to reach our community for Christ. We're in it together. We're going to see God do extraordinary things together. God has given me some glimpses of what he has in store for us, and it's incredible. I can't wait to experience all that God has for us, but it's going to take all of us working together, doing our part, loving one another like family, laying down our lives for one another. Make the choice today to belong, to engage, to reach out, to love. Every one of you needs to know today, you're family and you're loved. You are family and you are loved. You are family and you are loved. There's not one of you that falls outside of that. There's days where we maybe we don't feel like it, but you need to know today from the principle of God's word, you are family and you are loved. And if you don't feel that, you're in a room full of people who would gladly help you find that. Tell someone. Ask someone to help you get connected. Most importantly, ask God this morning because he will never leave that prayer unanswered because this is his family. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning that you are love. You're the source of all love. We love because you first loved us. And God, you give us that, op that opportunity and the ability to love those around us. And God, we want to start by loving each other well, by loving each other like you love us, by loving each other like we love you, Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray for every person in this room today, every person that calls Trilogy home, God, that you would help them to take a step Maybe to say, yeah, this is it. I'm going to plug in. I'm going to be committed. I'm going to grow uh, as a part of this church family. Maybe they need to get to that place of being willing to, to share, of opening themselves up and, and being willing to take a risk and be vulnerable, and maybe that's where they're at. Maybe they're at the place where they need to learn to serve and, and partner and use their gifts and how you've wired them to benefit the church and to jump in, and whether that's, you know, leading worship or teaching a, a kid's class or setting up chairs. Whatever that looks like, God, help all of us to do our part. And then finally, God, God, let us love one another like family. Let us experience that kinship, that koinonia that truly only comes through your involvement, Holy Spirit. And as we do this, God, would you make us more attractive than our church has ever been to those in our community? That, God, they would see people loving one another the way you intended for us to love one another. Keep us in unity moving forward. And, God, let us see life change take place at a level we've never experienced before. God, we're ready for all you want to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said.